0: The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Hello, welcome to the book nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program today, Erin Flanagan. She joins us in studio right here in Yellow Springs. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Erin, your most recent book is Deer Season. I know you've got another book coming out this summer, but I want to talk about Deer Season because mm-hmm. I just finished reading this and. I just really love this story. How'd you get the idea for it?
1: Thank you so much. Um, I'm so glad that you liked it. Um, Well, this is a book I've been trying to write for quite a while. Um, I grew up in a small town very similar to Gunther, Nebraska, only in uh, northwest corner of Iowa, where um, it was the 1980s, similar to uh, the time period of the novel here. And I felt really safe in that community, and uh, a lot of things that I kind of resented at the time, feeling like everybody knew my business, uh, and I didn't have a lot of... say and how my life was going, I wanted to represent in the book. But as safe as I felt there at the time, I had this sense, um, I have the sense now looking back that maybe not everybody felt that way. And that even in such an insular community, there would be ways to make people feel like outsiders.
0: Were you on a farm then?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we ended up uh, moving there when I was about five years old. My dad worked in Chicago at the time at IBM and was taking a train in an hour in the morning and an hour home at night and got home one day and said, you know what? I'm not seeing my girls grow up. I'm not seeing my wife. I think we should move to this family farm. And my mom was like, say what now? (laughs) Um, And they ended up doing that. My dad moved the summer before the rest of the family. He uh, went to a community college to learn how to farm. And they ended up living there for 35 years.
0: Give us the the basic gist of it, without, of course, giving away all the good stuff.
1: Okay, so um, basically, Alma and Kyle have moved to Gunther, Nebraska, 14 years ago. Kyle uh, grew up there, and Alma, even after 14 years, still feels like the city wife that's moved to the small town and doesn't really have a place there. Hasn't been able to make a lot of friends and feels like um, very much like an outsider. And they have had um, a man, Hal, Hal Bullard, who has worked on the farm for them for almost a decade now, and he is mentally challenged. He goes away the first weekend of deer season to go hunting with some buddies, comes home with a dent in his truck and a somewhat rickety excuse of why there's blood in the back of the truck. And the same weekend, a teenage girl, Peggy Ahern, who everybody knew Hal had a crush on, has gone missing. So the story is told from Alma's point of view, a little bit from Kyle's point of view, and Milo's point of view, who is Peggy's little brother.
0: And Milo is 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I, I really liked about this story, one of the many things, was that Alma and Kyle, although they have their problems with their marriage, which we find out more about mm-hmm. as we go through the story. They're both so likable, oh. and it's the same with Milo. Milo is this twelve-year-old kid, and I totally identified with him <laughs> because I was the nerd, teacher's pet. Me too. And I just I love this kid. And Milo knew that his sister had been sneaking out, climbing down the drain pipe. He mm-hmm. knew about it, but in these little towns. Everybody knows everybody's business. As we keep going through the story, we figure out that, gee, Alma knows what kyle has been up to, and Kyle and knows what Alma's been up to, even though they, they're keeping these secrets from each other. Mm-hmm. And the same thing in Milo's family, when his sister disappears. Milo thought he was the only one that knew that she was sneaking out at night, crawling down the drainpipe, but. These families, they they know, and there's so many different elements here. We've got these social groups. We've got the drinkers. Mm -hmm. We've got the non-drinkers. We've got the people that sleep around. Mm -hmm. We've got the people that are faithful to their spouses. Mm -hmm. We've got the Protestants, the Lutherans. We've got the Catholics who make good pizza. (laughs) Let's talk about some of these uh, some of these groups.
1: Uh, well, I think that's the thing too about secrets in small towns. You think you're keeping them, and you're probably not doing quite as good of a job. But also, just enough information gets out that's dangerous. That people begin to make assumptions about you. And I think that um, the thing about the secrets in the story, if people could just find a way to talk about what they need to talk about, they would be a lot better off. But that's such a fearful thing to put yourself out there and feel like somebody's really gonna know you if they find out what your secrets are. And I think we all feel that way to some extent that um, we're ashamed of something or um, embarrassed by it. And so we think, oh, I'll just just clam up and not let anybody know the real me. And then that's gonna be easier. And of course, that's not the case. Mm. (laughs) All we really wanna do is know people and connect with them. And in the small towns, too, in Gunther, and I think this was uh, like this in Sanborn, although I was, you know, a kid when I lived there, so I wasn't privy to a lot of, like, the adult uh, content of the town, I guess. But as a kid, um, I have this in the book that uh, all the kids would just keep sleeping bags in the back of their um, parents' cars, and then if One of the parties got a little rowdy. All the kids would just go hang out in the living room or the TV room or something and just wait till somebody was ready to drive them home. Mm -hmm. And so looking back on it, I'm kind of parsing out, what was that like as an adult? Um, And I do think the town would be divided by these kind of thin lines of the faithful, the not faithful, the drinkers, the not drinkers. But everybody was also very much in everybody's business. Mm
0: -hmm. In case you just tune in, my guest is Erin Flanagan. Her novel is Deer Season. I mentioned how much I like this couple, Alma and Kyle. They have tried to have children. They they haven't been able to do it. Now it's too late. Yet they have this wonderful helper on their on their farm, this Hal that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and he's another really likable character our hearts go out to him this poor guy has had a rough mm-hmm. rough time and now he's getting scapegoated mm-hmm. can we talk at all about what happened to him what what caused this problem that he's got his his mother can so we,
1: yeah he was um left in the water at a lake when he was like two years old his mom was up on the shore not paying attention and he ended up going out going without oxygen for an extended period of time and ended up with brain damage as a result of that and his mom um, tried to take the tack that this was a gift from god in a way um, and in no way her fault and so while he was uh, being raised by his mother who looked at him as a way to become a martyr. He also had Alma in his life, who was like, I'm just going to love the kid I got in Hal and accept him. But even even Alma, I think, has a complicated relationship with um, Hal. As much as she wants to accept him for who he is, she can't help but uh, mother over him and try to make decisions for him. And even though she does that, I think, from a good place and a right heart, it it doesn't always Give him as much agency maybe as he needs
0: and Milo's sister, Peggy, who disappears early in the story, we go way deep into the story before we find out what has happened to her. Mm-hmm. and meanwhile, you're building the drama and you're building the backstory on all these people and and we meet Hal's mother, and mm-hmm. we don't like her. <laughs>
1: I didn't like her either. I feel bad. Yeah. I wanted to love everybody, but I, she <laughs> we, was the one that I had a little hard time we, we opening like my heart to. Yeah.
0: I'm not particularly fond of uh, Peggy and Milo's parents, actually.
1: Mm. I liked their mom quite a bit. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. and their dad. I felt like I, I tried to understand. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressure, I think, um, on men to run these these farms and these ho- like support these households. And I can see how that pressure would build. But uh, I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of his actions.
0: Well, later in the story, I guess we figure out what the mom's about. And, mm-hmm. and we start to like her. At least mm-hmm. I started to like her.
1: <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad But, but wait, I, wait, I, I guess over.
0: The, the fact that they were part of the drinkers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these drinkers were kind of lascivious. I mean, you're mm-hmm. in this small town... Everybody knows everybody's business. I love the character, the the clerk in the grocery store. (laughs) like her long nails. Yeah, Yeah. she's like the arbiter of everything. She Mm -hmm. knows everything. The second you walk in the store, we'll just pick up right where we left off. Mm
1: -hmm. I won't name names for Sanborn, but I tell you, there were a couple of her around.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Well, it's it's quite a story. The book is Deer Season by Aaron Flanagan, and um, you've— Been getting some acclaim for this book, and uh, I'd like to talk about some of that uh, right after we pause for a little break. Great. Because uh, you've had some exciting things happening in your life. Yes. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO, connecting our community through news, music, and storytelling on the air and online. The Book Nook will continue right after this. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. I've been joined in studio today by Erin Flanagan. We're talking about her novel, Deer Season. And uh, she has an event coming up on Tuesday, June 7th. She has a, a, an event with Meredith Dench. They uh, have new books out, and they're going to be at the Washington Centerville Public Library, Woodburn Library, 6060 Far Hills Avenue, Tuesday, June 7th from 7 until 8 p.m., and they'll be uh, talking to each other about mm-hmm. books. And uh, I'm sure they'll have an audience there that'll be enjoying the conversation. And um,
1: That's our hope. If Meredith you, and I are good friends. We'll put on a good show.
0: <laughs> if, if you want information on this, uh, it's Washington Centerville Public Library. And that's uh, the Woodburn Library. Mm-hmm. And a beautiful facility.
1: Oh, it's gorgeous. And
0: according to this press release, it says Flanagan's novel, Dear Season, available at the library won the 2022 Edgar Award for Best First Novel by an American author and was a finalist for the Midwest Book Award in Fiction. Holy smokes. <laughs> did you go to the ceremony?
1: Oh, I certainly did. I thought I'll, I might never get nominated for anything again. I was, I'm, got a new dress. My husband rented a tux. We went to New York City. It was the big time.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah, we had a great time.
0: Who did you meet?
1: Um, well, Marjorie Flax, who uh, is big with MWA, was there. I met—I um, mainly, like, huddled with a lot of <laughs> the people in my category, uh-huh, um, yeah. and uh, they were all just delightful. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was just—it was a great time.
0: Well, how did you feel when they announced your name?
1: I— was basically in shock I turned to my husband and I'm like did they say my name because I was convinced that they had said somebody else's and I heard what I wanted I was going to get halfway up there and people were going to be like oh that poor girl so yeah I uh I grabbed my he's like get up there go go so and I had grabbed my list of people to thank my mom could was watching it on the live stream and she's like did you have to put your shoes on I said no I had to get my list <laughs> And I'd written out everybody's name too. Like I wanna I wanna thank my children. Cora, Neil, Ellen. Because I was like, what if I get up there and I'm like Patty, Luke I can't like, remember my yeah. kids' names. So, no, right. it was just it was so pretty it's, surreal. It's kinda
0: like the Oscars, you go up there and you give your thank you. Yes, mm-hmm.
1: yes. and I didn't get the hook, so I was <laughs> I was proud. I stayed within my time. No, it was just it was fantastic.
0: And for listeners who aren't aware of what a big deal this is. The Edgar Awards, named after Edgar Allan Poe, who wrote what is considered to be the first detective story. Mm -hmm. The Mystery Writers of America present these awards, and there are these little busts of Edgar Allan Mm -hmm. Poe. (laughs) And where did you put yours?
1: It's um, in my home office for my Zoom background. And I've got so much, like, museum wax under it because I'm afraid my cats are going to try and knock it over. I'm like, no, you can't break it.
0: Is it porcelain or something?
1: Um, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. It looks ceramic. Kind of fragile,
0: though. Huh? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> it's wow. heavy, though. It's heavier than I thought.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. But it
1: was such, like, uh, I mean, I will take any award anybody wants to get me, like, to give me. But the thing about the Edgar that it was so special, when I wrote this book, I was, um, like, I really loved the characters, and I was into that, but I, I really struggled with, like, the mystery elements. And I... I wasn't very confident about that. And so to have gotten that award just made me so proud. I was, yeah, I was just beyond thrilled.
0: Explain what you were feeling less confident about. What was it that, that, did you feel like you weren't following the formula What, what was it?
1: Yeah. And I was like, do I even know the formula? Is this a mystery? And so um, I actually had an article come out earlier this week with Catapult about transitioning from writing short stories to novels. And I have a couple of collections of stories and really kind of started there. And it took me about 10 years to write um, not this novel, but to write practice novels and figure out like what a plot was, you know, mm. So because I found out that was important. Like I heard early on have a plot. And so I kept having these kind of meandering conversation novels that weren't doing a lot. And this one I really set out was like, okay, I need kind of this inciting thing that's going to happen. This girl goes missing. And that was really all I knew. And so I also was plagued the whole time thinking, oh, I'm writing this wrong. Like I should know who did it. And Mm. I didn't until the end. And then once I did, I had to revise the book kind of with that in mind. But Mm -hmm. So the plot was the hard part for me. So to get recognized by a mystery, the mystery writers was really just delightful.
0: Well, from what I've heard over the years talking to many, many mm-hmm. writers in this genre is that they all have different processes and approaches and ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. You've got the Ian Rankins who never know who did it until they get to the end of the book. They, mm-hmm. they don't know. Which makes it kind of tough for the people that are reading and looking for clues, yes. but then you go back and, mm-hmm. and like you said, it sounds like that's the method that you used on this one.
1: Yes. And but, I think, wouldn't it be so much more efficient if I knew and just could write the book from beginning to end with all those things in there, but that doesn't seem to work for me.
0: Uh-huh. And you practiced. How many novels did you throw in the drawer before you decided to work on this one? Four. Four of them? Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: and. Um, my agent at the time had shopped three of them, and we just couldn't get them to land. Mm-hmm. And so they were ones that I had worked on. It wasn't just like a first draft. They were really revised, and I learned a lot. And mm-hmm. I'll never go back to them. I'm pretty confident of that.
0: You'll never go back to the agent? You fired the agent? Oh, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a different agent now who, uh, I, uh, who uh, I do adore. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, but, uh, I'm just teasing.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. My, my guess is Erin Flanagan. Her new one is Deer Season. And this was published by University of Nebraska Press, mm-hmm. and it says it's uh, edited by Ron Hanson, who, if it's the Ron Hanson that I know, uh, is, is quite a writer in his own mm-hmm. stead. Did, was he really your hands-on editor?
1: No, he's the series editor. Oh, okay. And he's kind of um, the overall uh, face of flyover fiction. And I then see. Courtney Oxner was the woman that I worked with, the editor there, who was fantastic.
0: And now that— you've uh, got the edgar you're moving on to a much bigger press and you've got a new book coming out this summer called Mm -hmm. blackout do you want to tell us anything about that
1: sure that one takes place in dayton ohio it's about uh, maris heilman she's a sociologist who stopped drinking about seven months ago and has started having these mysterious blackouts um sometimes they'll last a minute sometimes they'll last up to an hour and she'll come to not knowing where her time has been so She's convinced in the beginning this might be related to her drinking and um, is very concerned that her family is going to think she's back on uh, drinking. And then she ends up in a car accident during a blackout at the ER, realizes that this is happening to other women in Dayton as well, mm. and joins forces with them to try and figure out what's going
0: on. You're going to be doing this event with Meredith Dench. And uh, she's got a book out called "Whereabouts Unknown," mm-hmm. and uh, I'm guessing you've read it. Do you, I have. do you want to tell us about that?
1: Oh yeah, it's um, also takes place in Ohio, and it's um, Theo is the main character, the detective who's kind of following um, this crime of these missing young girls, and it's really fantastic. I just loved it. Um, I. Uh, Can't recommend it highly enough. And so she's done the Luce Hansen trilogy. And this is her um, first one away from Luce. And I was like, no, I want Luce. But I ended up loving Theo so much. I really hope um, she turns this one into a series as well.
0: Mm. That's an event at the Washington Centerville Public Library. My guest today, Aaron Flanagan and Meredith Dench together. That's at 6060 Far Hills Avenue, Tuesday, June 7th, 7 p.m. They will be uh, sharing their latest novels set in Ohio and uh, talking about thrillers and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you can uh, contact Washington Centerville Public Library for information to attend this event. And uh, they have a beautiful facility there. It's a great place to uh, go hear authors speak Mm -hmm. about their stuff. And I gave a, a presentation there one time and just loved it. Yeah, it's,
1: it's such a great place, and Debbie is amazing, Debbie Dawkins. That
0: was three years ago, Debbie. Remember? <laughs> I'm not hinting. Okay, Aaron, um, what kind of a response have you gotten since the Edgar came out, as compared to before the Edgar came out?
1: Well, I think a lot, a lot more people have heard of the book now, which is great. Um, I was really kind of thinking of the audience for this as a Midwestern audience that's with the flyover series with a small, you know, university press in the Midwest. So that was kind of what I was envisioning. But it does seem like it's taken off a little bit more now, which is great. And one thing I've heard over and over from like Midwestern readers is, oh, I'm always so nervous to read about the Midwest because we look like a bunch of rubes and... (laughs) Been very happy, I think, with the portrayal of them as complicated, funny people, and so that's been really rewarding. And so I'm, I like to think of uh, people outside the Midwest getting a touch of our humor now.
0: Yes, I would like to note that there is some humor in this book, and and I realized that quickly when you start talking about a young boy spitting or (laughs) starting to spit, and and I'm like, this is different. It's like. (laughs) Wow, it's like I take it you had a brother.
1: I I had uh, an inventive sister. Oh, okay, <laughs> all, all right. She never did that to me. No, uh, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> but you probably heard about something like this. Yes, I, I can tell there are things in here where you've just you've delved into your memory banks and and you've pulled stuff out. Yes. Yeah.
1: But none of the bad stuff. That uh, was none of that would apply to my actual family.
0: Okay. Well, the character of Alma, we have these different points of view, but I think. Alma's point of view is maybe a little bit more prevalent in Mm -hmm. my mind than the others. Mm -hmm. Her husband, we spent some time with him, but it's mostly with his dealing with Alma. It's mostly about their relationship. And Alma is at that point in her life where she knows she's not going to have children, and she really wanted to, and Mm -hmm. she really tried to do so. and. I think that her husband loves her like crazy, Mm -hmm. but he's made some mistakes. Mm -hmm. And she knows about them, and and he doesn't know. And I love how Alma shadows him Mm -hmm. and knows what he's up to. And and he has no clue that he's being watched. And and it's so easy for us to see a simple gesture or action and to misinterpret and to to draw Mm -hmm. other conclusions about what's going on. And I I just, I love that nuanced way that that you depict interactions between people.
1: Oh, thank you. No, that's so so great to hear. And it goes back to the idea of secrets. I think that we have um, these parts of ourselves that we don't want other people to see. And we are watching each other so closely trying to, figure out who we are to each other. And yeah, if we would just be able to communicate, that would become clearer. (laughs) Mm. But instead we assign worst case scenarios and all of that to other people's actions.
0: I had a young man on the show last year who'd written a nonfiction book. And he was from a a small town in Nebraska, but apparently it was a Catholic town. They Mm. were were Mm -hmm. mostly Czech descent Mm -hmm. and they they were Catholics. And I didn't realize – I was reminded when I read your book how Nebraska – still has that religious thing going on mm-hmm. where, where there's a lot of Protestants and and you've got Lutherans and there are a certain kind of Lutheran. And you get into that a little bit, especially when you make the comment of, oh, there's this new pizza place and, and they're Catholics and they actually make really good pizza. Like <laughs> people are like, whoa, you believe it.
1: <laughs> Who would have guessed, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I meant, too, what I was saying earlier, that I think that uh, even in a small town we'll find ways to – no matter the size of the group, makes somebody feel like an outsider. Uh-huh. And so when I was growing up um, in my small town, it was the Catholics. The Ca- we Everybody was pretty similar as far as race and a class. And so that was like the big difference was the Catholics, you mm-hmm. know. And so again, you start to create these different stereotypes in your mind of like what other people might be like. So who would have guessed Catholics could make good pizza? Um, so, like I said, I grew up in Iowa, but I did live for a decade in Nebraska. So I oh. felt like it wasn't too big of a a leap to write about that place as well.
0: Oh, where in Nebraska? Mainly in Lincoln. Uh-huh, okay. Well, when I think of northwest Iowa, that particular area that you're from, I think of uh, Dutch Reformed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's like the religion. And, and I believe that that's the district that Steve King would have been representing. That oh, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Steve King, who mm-hmm. was finally driven out of Congress in mm-hmm. the last election. But what a nut. Yeah. <laughs> v- very conservative, incredibly conservative. That's Iowa. My last uh, <laughs> girlfriend before I moved out of Des Moines mm-hmm. was from Storm Lake. So that's up in that. Oh, yeah. Kind of in that area.
1: I went to see a traveling Second City show there. Oh, really? Yeah, when I was in high school.
0: Did you go to Buena Vista College or?
1: I believe I visited uh, it. Yeah yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah.
0: Small world. It is. I'm from Des Moines, like I say, so that's how I know about.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I'm always Sandborn so excited to meet an or, Iowan. Or.
0: Well, there's a lot of us around here. <laughs> there are. A lot we of should us, have a club. A lot of us left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we were driven out.
0: <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. So, how did you end up becoming a writer? What, what, When did you decide? Was this something you want to do since you were a kid?
1: Oh, I I certainly loved it when I was a kid. Um, Like, my whole life I've loved to write and love stories. And then it was when I was in undergrad that I took, like, a creative writing class for the first time. And it wasn't – like, I remember I wrote some pretty terrible stuff there. Uh, But I remember reading, like, contemporary short stories for the first time, Laurie Moore, Charles Baxter. And I'm like, what in the Sam Hill is this? Like, I just thought they were the funniest, greatest things Hmm. I'd ever read. And that's when I – was like oh I think I wanna I wanna devote some time to this and really started kind of more systematically trying to write.
0: Donald Ray Pollock is my favorite oh, Ohio sure. author, mm-hmm. and, and I had him on for his first book, which is a story collection mm-hmm. called Knock 'Em Stiff, and then he put out a novel. But it was a real struggle for him because he was a short story writer, mm-hmm. and he would polish and burnish and buff. Yep. And and put his sweat and blood and tears into every single word in those short stories. And then when he had to write a novel, he was like, oh, what do I, how do I do this?
1: <laughs> it's really, really hard. And I think that's one of the th- things I was thinking like when I was moving from short stories to novels. Oh, it's just longer. It's just 10 times longer. How how tough can it be? But it was not just longer. It was a lot deeper. It was a lot more complicated. Um The timeline was unwieldy, and I wonder if he, like me, had that problem of, yeah, I was used to the polish, so I would write a page. I'm like, hmm, let's make it pretty, and then you would do that, and then you'd realize, like, two days later, you had to just throw it away anyway. So, like, it was constant polish throwing away, polish throwing away. So I had to come up with a whole new way of kind of writing Mm. for the novel.
0: I think he realized that if he kept writing the novel like he wrote short stories— that it would be published posthumously because here's no, there was no way he could finish it. The way, he's such a perfectionist.
1: And he's got a couple novels, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I read yeah. The, I read and I taught The Heavenly Table. I loved that quite a bit.
0: That's the most recent one. Mm-hmm. He's got another one. He's sweating. Ooh. Well, he's he's been working on it. He keeps changing his mind about what it's about. Oh, God I, bless. I, I stay in touch with him. My guest is Erin Flanagan. We're talking about her novel Deer Season and her uh, next book, which is coming out in July called Blackout. And I'll continue my conversation with Erin right after this. The book nook continues on WYSO. My guest in studio today, Erin Flanagan, her novel Deer Season, just won the Edgar Award. And that is a big deal. And, and I loved reading this. And and with a lot of books, for me, they resonate because I feel some personal connection with them. Mm -hmm. And in this one, this is set in the Mm mid-1980s. And in the mid-1980s, I was working in market research. And we had all these clients that were agricultural, like Pioneer Hybrid, and Mm -hmm. Eli Lilly. And they would hire my company. To do research. And we would go out and we would interview farmers, mm. lots of farmers in Illinois. They sent me as far as Van Wert, Ohio, Indiana, South Dakota. Huh. One summer, I spent weeks in Nebraska. They sent me out in the, into Nebraska and I didn't drive. And so they oh. got this young guy who'd grown up on a farm in Iowa, 21 year old guy, to be my driver. And I would sit in the hotel room in Grand Island on, on an evening phone call journey where I would call these farmers up. I had their phone numbers, and I'd say, uh, I'd like to come out and interview you for a half hour. And they were very resistant. They, mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't want me coming out there. They didn't want anything to do with it. And I would sweeten the deal and get a lot of agreement when I would say, I will pay you $100 cash for 30 oh. minutes of your time.
1: Yeah, I'd still take that deal.
0: And I had a stack of, of 20s. I had a, like a brick of 20s. <laughs> and then I would tell the kid, okay, here are the directions. We have to turn at this. There were no signs. We have to turn at this oh, yeah. mailbox and go down this winding road. And then we hit the gravel road, but don't go too far, blah, blah, blah. And the farm kid, he would figure it out. And so I'd ask the farmer, I'd say, okay, well, when do you want me to come out? And the guy goes, "Oh, how about 5 o'clock? <laughs> and, and I'd say, okay, 5 o'clock, that's fine. He says, that's a.m. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I said, okay. And so we had to leave about 4 o'clock to find this place. It's still dark. <laughs> and we get there, and the farmers would be very crusty, a lot of them. <laughs> they, just, they wanted their money, and I was doing research on porcine and bovine somatotropin when I was in Nebraska. These are uh-huh. growth, growth hormones. So mm-hmm. these, We were seeing these cow-calf operators. Your people are pig people. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to this one farm, and he was older, and he was really crusty. And he had this young, very attractive wife mm-hmm. who had baked this delicious coffee cake and was serving the coffee cake and coffee, and he was answering the questions and ignoring her and I complimented the cake, and she got this look on her face, that I mean, it, it looked like the greatest pleasure. Aww. And I I remember thinking to myself just how isolated these people were, out there. Sounds like she and, was. And yeah. how and how lonely. Mm. And, and your book re- really brought back that feeling that I got because mm. you get off I eighty in Nebraska, and for one thing, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People don't get it. They go down I-80, and they, they're on their way to Denver or whatever, and they don't get it that Nebraska is gorgeous. It just looks like a, a turnpike. Yeah. You get off the highway, and there's these little isolated farms out there in the middle of nowhere, and these people are so hard up for, mm-hmm. for a company, and I'm reading about your characters, and I'm, I'm I'm feeling that sense of isolation and loneliness. Poor Alma. Yeah. You know, Alma's a, from a city, Mm -hmm. and she's been kind of dragged into the situation. Her husband said, oh, well, we need to go take care of the business with the Mm -hmm. family farm, and then we'll we'll go back to the city. But this poor woman, she's stranded out there.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those things, too. You can be in a city and still not know your neighbors, but there's still that closeness. And when you are in a rural area, like, on a farm by yourself. There's there's no that not that sense of like, oh, I'm going to run into somebody. You're going to at least see other people throughout the day. And you still, but you still have to find community where you can, you know, she's got to make some decisions about whether or not she's going to work to fit in and whether or not she wants to, you know, and I think that's one of the things she struggles with.
0: Yet, even though she's from the city, she's got this great name that you would expect to find out in rural Nebraska 100 years ago, Alma. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just classic.
1: I wonder if that would have fit. So it's funny that all the, most of the last names in the book, uh, Costigan, Ahern, uh, Bullard, are from this um, small like neighborhood in Denver where my husband's grandma used to live. Oh, really? And th- that was everybody on the street. And one day he was just, as I was starting this book, he told me everybody's name. Oh. And I was like, I'm going to use those all. And I like, I love thinking about somebody from that street being like, what in the <laughs> hell? How did this person in Ohio write this book about these Nebraskans with all these Colorado names? It's and an I homage. Yeah, and I didn't find out later that Clyle... He's like, you know, that guy always had a pipe in his mouth. For all I know, his name was Lyle, and we just couldn't understand him well. So I'm like, maybe I made that name up. Oh, really? (laughs) But it fit him so much, I was like, I got to keep it now.
0: Well, I kind of thought Milo came from the fact that they grow sorghum out there, and they call it Milo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Milo was, uh, there was uh, a kid in my town named Milo, who is not like this Milo very much, but... He was, like, such a popular kid, and I've always loved that name.
0: Milo's uncle. Mm-hmm. You you get a little bit into him near the end of the story, and, and I'll leave it for readers to discover this, but this kind of came as a shock to me. Mm. And we think about the innocence of these people, yet out in these isolated places, there are some things that are Rather nefarious. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that um, he's lived in the shadow of his brother his whole life and he has found a way to maybe make some money and get ahead and he's decided he's gonna take it. So Yeah,
0: you know, he's driving this big new Cadillac and mm-hmm. and they're all going, How did the failure afford a Cadillac? <laughs> Where's the money coming from?
1: We'll find it.
0: You them. need to find out by reading Deer Season by Aaron Flanagan. And Milo. I think my favorite scene in the book is is the basketball scene.
1: Oh, thanks. That was, I think, the last scene I wrote.
0: Yeah, I love that scene. Oh, thank you. Oh, Milo. If you didn't <laughs> like Milo before you get to that part, you, there's no way that you're going to not like him after that.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank
0: you. I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, right, but... <laughs> right, the, the basketball scene. I, I was seeing it all. I, I it, You do a wonderful job of creating these, these – uh, visual images. What is the process for you when you write?
1: Um, I have finally learned that with first drafts, I just have to throw everything I can at the page and hope to goodness something sticks. So right now I'm just, uh, I'm working on a new project and I'm just words, 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 words. I just want to get as many words out as I can every day and keep like a sketch of what I'm doing. And then hopefully at the end, I will have something I can shape into a book. Uh so I am a big believer in just draft and then revision is where it's at so with blackout I um, actually kept track of um, all the hours that I wrote and found out that it took me 456 hours to write a novel and what was interesting to me was that took 22 months but it took me 13 months to write the first draft which was only 18% of the hours. This is getting into the weeds, I realize. It's Uh a little boring on the numbers. but um, So once I realized that, I'm like, oh, I can cut down how long it takes me to write if I can just write the first draft faster. So that's what I'm trying to do now. So I can um, hold more of it in my head at one time with a shorter time span.
0: And I'm guessing that you've spent some time at writer's workshops, like the Mm -hmm. Antioch writer's workshop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I was on their board for, uh, gosh, Quite a few years. Yeah, that was so much fun every summer.
0: Well, that's something we have in common. I was on their board once upon a time. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, we
1: must have missed each other. Bummer. That was
0: a long time ago. <laughs> At the time, Sue Clauser was running it. Oh, sure, yeah. And she's a legend.
1: Yes. I but, was there in the Sharon Short days.
0: Okay, right. Yeah, when I was there, uh, Lucrezia Guerrero was on the board and mm-hmm. Ralph Kais. Oh, sure, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh some great people, great writers. How do you feel about writers' workshops? Did they did that help you to, to be involved oh, in that? absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, back to this idea of community, that uh, the idea of the writer struggling alone is not all that helpful. Like nobody can help you write the words necessarily. Um, you've got to kind of do that part yourself. But you learn so much about the craft. And the thing that I've always just found so mo- helpful about uh, – Having writer friends is just knowing somebody's kind of in the trenches with you and that can help you figure out next steps and what the community looks like. And it's been really wonderful. Um, Speaking of Sharon Short, I was with her um, at a conference not too long ago and she knew I had a book coming out and said, oh, hey, get out a piece of paper. Get out a pen. Here are 10 things you should do to promote that book. And just boom, boom, boom off the top of her head. And it was so helpful. And now I feel like I can help somebody with that information too. So it's just, it's so great to have a community.
0: Well, she's definitely been in the trenches with this new Jess Montgomery oh, series. I just,
1: oh, I love it so much. Yeah.
0: Speaking of which, are you reading in the genre? What kind of stuff do you like to read?
1: Uh, I have been reading like a lot of mysteries and a lot of thrillers uh, lately. Um Oh, Caitlin Ware has um, a book, *The Damage*, that I absolutely loved. Um, and I've already mentioned Meredith and Jess. Um, what is? It? I just finished uh, Kelly Garrett's *Like a Sister*. I really loved that. Um, yeah, there's there's always something. Oh, I just uh, read Essay um, Cosby's. What is it? Razor blade tears. That about Essay Cosby? Yeah, that about yeah. knocked me over. Yeah. That was so good. Yeah, we
0: had him on for that.
1: Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. If you haven't read Blacktop Wasteland, go back and read that one. Yes. It's on They're the They're totally list. different books, but that book absolutely knocked me out. Oh, jeez. Okay. I'm on he, it. He is a force.
1: Yeah. No, I yeah. I have been – he was at the Edgars, and I was just like uh-huh. – I. he's the one person I really regret that I didn't go up and say hi to, but I was just like –
0: uh-huh.
1: like I was too fangirly.
0: <laughs> he didn't win, though.
1: Oh, well, he got the most shout-outs. Did he? Like, people love him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's apparently got quite a backstory. He he grew up in very straightened circumstances. And I don't know if he still does this, but, but he worked part time in a funeral home.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: In fact, his first novel is partly set in a funeral home, and uh, they're getting ready to reissue it.
1: Okay. Well, oh, yeah, I know. I just saw that. I did see that. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm on it.
0: Well, I love Reading uh, mysteries and thrillers and and crime novels, or whatever you want to call them. What made you decide to write one? I mean, that that, uh, clearly was a conscious choice. I'm guessing that your short stories aren't oriented that way. No.
1: No, this, like I said, I think I just really needed to figure out plots. So I had to come up with something that had some beats that I could recognize a little bit and just as kind of a skeleton to think about a book. And that really helped me. And then with. Blackout, which I think, um, I never know what the distinctions are necessarily between like a mystery and a thriller, but that feels very much more like a thriller to me. Um, It's a little more fast paced. um, And that one really just, I was taken with the idea of like, what's happening to these women in this town. And again, I went in with no idea what might be happening to these women in this (laughs) town. And so discovered along with them as
0: we went. Okay. Well, I'm sure, Aaron, that we have some listeners out there who are scratching their heads and going, Erin Flanagan, isn't she the woman who teaches at Wright State? How come they haven't <laughs> mentioned that uh, you do teach I at do. Wright State, right? Tell us yeah. about that.
1: Yeah, I've been there since 2005 in the English department. I mainly teach fiction writing, sometimes creative nonfiction. I teach some novel writing. Um, and it's just been the best gig I could have ever hoped for. Like, I have loved uh, teaching there, still love teaching there. Um, and like, it's just, it's kind of a kick that every day I go in and talk about fiction writing and they pay me to do it. And Uh like, I get to meet these students at the start of their writing careers where they're so excited. And yeah, it's just been a real blessing. I love that job.
0: Wouldn't it be nice if everybody had a job that they loved going to? Yes. Yes. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a wonderful (laughs) world?
1: I am all for that world. It's
0: like, uh, Honey, are you coming home from work? No, I love it so much here. I'm staying here.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I go quite that far. I mean, I do love
0: it, but... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So you've got this new one coming out in July. Does this mean that the pipeline is being actively stoked up, like there's another book that you're working on?
1: I am working on one right now about um, a female friendship, and that's really all I... No so far, uh-huh. but yes, I'm, ho- I'm hoping maybe there'll be news on that soon.
0: You're afraid you're going to jinx it?
1: Maybe. Because that
0: happens. <sighs> That's and what it, I've heard. It happens. <laughs> Pe- people will come in and they'll tell me too much about the story, and, and then a year later when they put out their new book, I go, well, I thought your book was what? supposed to be about – Yeah. It's like, well, I, I guess they have no obligation to actually write the book that they talked about a year before.
1: Well, they should.
0: No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think that the creative process really is magical mm-hmm. from what I've, I've observed. And I'm surprised that writers are willing to talk about it at all. I've had a lot of guests that, frankly, didn't want to talk about their process. Yeah. They, they didn't want to talk about the magic because well, they didn't want the magic to go away yeah. by analyzing it.
1: Well, and I agree that I think there is a little bit of magic to it. And I think that's why I, like, track all my hours and try to come up with, um, you know, like, these goals that I can set. Like, if you write a thousand words, you get a sticker, you know, things like that, because it feels less magical. It feels more like, you know, packing my lunchbox and going to work. So I can – the magic scares me. Like, Mm. and maybe it is that I don't want to jinx it or whatever. So I think, oh, no, I'm just – I'm just writing my little thousand words and uh, going to work. And then I'm gonna write it down in my in my like Google sheet with my friend.
0: <laughs> you get stickers?
1: Oh God, Vic, of course. Don't you? You should get we should both get a sticker at the end of this interview.
0: I've been missing out. <laughs> wow. Well, it's really been fun talking to you about your book. And I just have one more question. Um, you write in the mornings uh, evenings is there a specific time when you have time to do it to focus I,
1: I definitely prefer the mornings mm-hmm. because I'm a lot fresher um, and the whole house hasn't gone crazy yet so mornings if I can but wherever I can
0: hmm and you have cats did you mention you have cats I
1: have ca- two cats and two dogs and they're obnoxious all of them all of them are obnoxious even the cats especially the cats.
0: Oh, no, I can't even believe that. (laughs) I know dogs can be obnoxious, but I've I've never known a cat to be obnoxious. Of course, if it knocked over your Edgar and and broke it, that that would would qualify. (laughs) Okay, well, your assignment is, if you haven't read any of the Frederick Manfred novels, who's from Siouxland, right there in your same area, this is your assignment. Track down some of those and Read them sometime when you I don't will, have anything else to do. Because I will do so. I love an assignment. They are wonderful. And I am not a professor, so I am allowed to give out assignments.
1: <laughs> I love assignments. No magic there.
0: And one more reminder for those of you who want to meet Aaron and Meredith Dench. They've got an event together, and this is at the Washington Centerville Public Library. They will be hosted at the Woodburn Library. That's 6060 Far Hills Avenue. Tuesday evening, June 7th, from 7 until 8 o'clock. And according to the press release that I have here, it says, Meredith Dench and Aaron Flanagan, both local authors, will be sharing their latest novel set in Ohio, as well as chatting about the experience of writing local and all things thriller. Dench's latest release, Whereabouts Unknown, follows the Dayton detective Theodora Madsen on a disturbing case that involves missing teens. Flanagan's latest, Blackout, will be released July 1st and follows Professor Maris Heilman through a series of blackouts that leave her convinced something or someone is stealing her memories. And if you missed the part of our interview earlier, Flanagan's novel, Aaron's novel, uh, Dear Season, which is available at the library, just won the 2022 Edgar Award for Best First Novel by an American author. And uh, I'm sure if you go, you could probably get an autograph because... (laughs) That's what these writers love to do. They love to give out their signatures. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to Thank meet you.
1: you. Oh my gosh, it's just been great.
0: And I would like to note that if you're planning on attending at the Washington-Centerville Public Library on June 7th at 7 PM, uh, seeing Meredith Dench and Aaron Flanagan and hearing what they have to say and maybe picking up a copy of one of their books, you need to register. The program is free but registration is required to ensure adequate seating. For information on that, go to their website, wclibrary.info. And once again, that's at the Woodburn Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, 6060 Far Hills Avenue, Tuesday, June 7th from 7 until 8 p.m. Meredith Dench and Aaron Flagan talking about their work and uh, talking to each other, and I'm sure it's going to be a great evening. So you can register to attend at wclibrary.info. You've been listening to the Book Nook on WYSO. Tune in tomorrow at 10.30 when I do my 21st interview with the legendary James Lee Burke. And what a great time we'll have. That's tomorrow at 10.30.